You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hi everyone, I'm Kylie Crabb. And I'm Robin Whitaker. And today we're talking to you about the readings for Lent 2. And we're going to talk about Genesis 17 verses 1 to 7 and 15 to 16. Uh, Romans 4 verses 13 to 25 and Mark 8 verses 31 to 38. So let's kick off with Genesis then. Robin, can you give us a bit of context or something about Genesis 17? Yes. Uh, So this is the third time there's an attempt to make a covenant or the promise of a covenant with Abraham as he becomes known. Uh, The first was back in Genesis 12 where Abraham is told he will be a blessing, he will have multiple children, he'll be given land. There's then a whole narrative of him and and Sarah or Sarai, as she's known at that point, being off in Egypt. And then in chapter 15 we get that promise repeated, um, particularly the promise around land and having multiple offspring. And then in the intervening chapters, uh, uh, Hagar, the Egyptian slave girl, has been offered to Abraham. So Sarah and Abraham have had a bit of a panic that childbirth is not happening for them. And um, and we just need to name up front, this is a culture, it's deeply problematic. Hagar's an enslaved woman. She would have had no agency over her body. She basically is forced to be with Abraham and have his child. And that's where we arrive in chapter 17, with Abraham being 99 years old. Um, He's got this son, Ishmael, with Hagar, and God appears to him again. So God just pops up in Genesis, (laughs) appears, hello. (laughs) Um, And we get this beautiful name for God we don't really know. It's El Shaddai. Um, The NRSV says, I am God Almighty, but it's um, Shaddai is language from mountain and shadow, so El Shaddai, um, and walk with me, in my presence and be blameless and I will give my covenant between you and I is the way this, this – so this is the third kind of yeah, giving yeah. of the covenant yeah. to Abraham. So d- should, you know, should Abraham be believing at this time? Like what's, <laughs> what's happening here? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think there's some really interesting tensions in this reading. So the covenant, there's singular language. God, God is speaking directly to Abraham, it's a bit of a man-to-man, yes. you know, um, yes. if we can use one that language on for God. One-on-one, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, with you and, again, this promise of multiplying greatly. And Abraham basically sort of says, um, you know, would Ishmael, like, not get your favour? Um, so this is where the passage goes just after the lectionary cuts it off and God's oh, yeah, not... We've got, we you, skip a whole bit here. We skip, we yeah, skip yeah. lots Everybody of read stuff. Through. There's all sorts of interesting bits in here. Yeah, so if you're going to preach on this, you want, you want to read at least yeah. this whole chapter because the lectionary skips some stuff and where it goes next is actually bringing Sarah back in. So I think we can interpret what's going on with the gender stuff in a few ways. I've heard some scholars talk about, you know, the covenants made with Abraham and it seems like Sarah's or whoever whatever woman bears the child is almost irrelevant. Mm. And yet it keeps coming back until Sarah herself has the baby. So this covenant is also with Sarah. And at at the end she's actually called, um, she will be the nations, the mother of the kings of the nations. So Sarah is, you know, given a huge prominence in the tradition. Um, And also in this this chapter, right? Like she, she receives actually part of the blessing. Yes, with the new name and 
That's right. Yeah. So in the chapter in the verses fifteen and sixteen that the lectionary does include, um, Sarah is named. She gets a new name as well. So Sarai, yeah. Sarah, Abram, Abraham, and um, and this promise that she will have a son, that he will be blessed, and she herself will become the nations. Yeah. Um, the king of the peoples will issue from her is the yeah. language, a kind yeah. of literal translation of the Hebrew. Um, and Abraham laughs. So this is this famous this passage yeah, where yeah. Abraham laughs because it's so ridiculous that they're 99 years old and God is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other tension if Sarah I could. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other tension in the passage is I think a really interesting one in that this is kind of one of the Jewish covenants. Abraham is, we're going to see in the yep. Romans reading next, yeah. um, you know, this father of the faith in the in the Hebrew tradition. And yet there's this repeated reference to the nations, the goyim, yeah. um, at least four times just in the passage we have. So yeah. this is, you know, an everlasting covenant so that, you know, you will be a father of the nations, you will have a multitude of nations, she will be the nations. So this is a promise of land and we recognise there's a difficult history yeah. that relates to current day yeah, politics. Yeah, yeah. Correctly. Yeah. Um, but in the midst of a very particular covenant is also this breadth that this is always for the world. Mm. Um, and again, we're going to see that language picked up in the way Paul talks about it. Yeah, yeah. What strikes it's, you in this reading, Kylie? Any? Well, I, I mean, I actually think that that stuff, that balance between um, the the particular, this, this relationship with this particular couple, and I love how you're drawing that out, that it is a couple and it's not the Abrahamic covenant is actually not just with Abraham mm. yep. or Abram and then Abraham. Um, but but how we balance this kind of particular and universal in in all of these, mm. I mean, it's a tension across so many of our texts, right? That um, there that there is a particular kind of um, gift to the to a particular people, but it is always meant to be something that benefits the whole world. Mm. So that feels to me like something that is a, an invitation and a challenge in how we engage with this text when we're preaching on it. As yeah. you say, particularly challenging at the moment. All these, all these readings that we're getting about things to do with the the so-called gift, the the theft of land, the um, mm. the entry into land, to the promise of land that's that's um, being inhabited by others. Uh, you know how we deal with that in in a mm. place where there is um, obviously uh, terrible um, conflict in the Middle East, but where. I mean, it's it's also really very present to us as um, you know settler people in in, in Australia, Australia, yeah, and and how we're going to deal with those that that is of course people part of the verses that the lectionary cuts out. I know, but, but I think there's an invitation to to look back at that and think, you know, well, a why is the lectionary cutting it out? I know people don't want to sit through whole chapters read out in worship, and maybe that's why. But why did they pick those verses? Um, yeah, and maybe because it is tricky. So the verse eight goes, you know, I'll give you the whole land of Canaan. The fact that the land has a name means yes. it's also inhabited by peoples, right? Yes, yes. So if you do preach on this text, I guess my plea is, you know, I wanted to name some tensions because we need to preach on these texts with nuance mm-hmm. to to go to one extreme or the other, you know, like, well, God said this land was there, so basically bad luck to mm-hmm. whoever was on it, right? And we know there's a legacy of that in the way that colonial yeah. Christian people behaved. Yeah. Um but also to hold with that, this was always for a wider group of people. So any kind of sense of, of, of doing harm to people in the name of fulfilling the promise would seem to be at odds with the very yeah. heart of the promise. Yeah, yeah. And I reckon that thinking about that in 
uh, as people of faith in congregations, the other part of the invitation is to think how do how does our um, important particular relationship with God benefit mm. the world? Yes. you know, like it is the way into everybody. So there are both a both a part of what's going on here, and as we think through Lent, we're maybe taking on some extra disciplines or giving up some mm. things in order to make space for for faith and um, increased prayer and connection with God. You know, like how how is that um, personal discipline and building our relationship uh, both a gift to us and for beyond us? Yeah, I love that because I think, you know, if I was doing a cheeky sermon title for this passage, yeah. it would be something like, faith is not just about you, right? Yes, like, yes. you know, your fa- if your faith and all your beautiful disciplines is entirely self-serving, well, is it, you know, you haven't quite got to the depth of faith yet. Yeah. The other sermon, um, I think, and I'm very conscious, at least here in Australia, we have a number of churches that are ageing and yep. the average age of the Uniting Church, which is our denomination, is yep. getting older. These are two 99-year-olds and they inherit the promise yeah. of God from which all this life springs. Yeah, maybe new pregnancies <laughs> yeah. are not what everybody, yeah, every 99-year-old yeah, yeah. Not necessarily is saying go forth and get pregnant because, you know, <laughs> that'd be a medic- medical miracle. But, um, Might be tiring. <laughs> but there's, there's a word of hope in there that, yeah. you know, and this is a consistent theme in the Bible, new life can s- spring from the most surprising of places and just because you have an ageing congregation does not mean... You can't be carriers and fulfillers of this promise. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And thinking about it, I know we're kind of joking about the thing about the nineteen nine year old and the fertility that comes from it and stuff. But also, yeah. I guess, being conscious within that, how we use that um, as a very powerful and helpful metaphor, and also how we think about people who maybe are experiencing the impossible. Mm like longing for a child and fertility. And this is really explicit in these texts, all these women who um, are unable, you know, um, Sarah begins a tradition that is going to go on with all of these matriarchs who who can't have have children. So thinking in in those terms about um, uh, both maybe being careful how we talk about that in sort of literal sense so that people are not feeling um, that these – you know, that the scripture that could be a great gift to them is actually a real burden in their yeah. own suffering. Um, being told, you know, if you have more faith or something, this would Yeah, that's well, right. Maybe, yes. maybe not. But but then thinking beyond this about what is the kind of new life that we're that we're talking about here. In, yes. Amongst aged congregations, amongst all the human limitation that we live with, where is this new mm. stuff that is springing to life? Definitely. Good. Well, let's go to Romans 4 and see what Paul does with a bit of this tradition. Absolutely. Okay, so Romans 4. What do, what where do, do, we, where do we start? Where do we start, do we start Kylie? <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things in here as well. It obviously relates to the Genesis 17 reading, so mm. uh, it's worth, um, you know, you can look at a bit of interplay there without thinking that they – immediately follow on it's what we uh we might talk about as a reception we've yeah. heard about that before biblical reception where you're talking about how somebody later on is reading a biblical text and mm-hmm. here we have this amazing thing where we have someone um who is also writing a text that becomes part of the bible reflecting on another part of the bible yeah. and giving new stuff into yeah that. we're getting a form of 
biblical interpretation in action. And Paul, I mean, unfortunately he he doesn't really mention Sarah. He will do that in other places. So (laughs) He needed um, to do Bible study with you, Robert. He needed to hear that that earlier interpretation. (laughs) I could have given Paul some pointers. But I do like that he captures the global reach of it. Like for the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or his descendants through the law. But anyway, inherit the world. So the Greek word there is cosmos. So it's not that he would inherit the land of Israel, that he would inherit the world. We're immediately in some bigger global cosmic framing for Paul. Cosmic framing, not so much. um, Are you talking about that this is like a part of like a global global colonialism kind of project or something else? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Paul's always apocalyptic, right? Yes, exactly. uh, Um, So he's talking about something something else there, right? It's not a political program that is not that actually. No, this isn't. Yes, good point. Good, good. Yes. Just in case anyone interpreted me saying, go forth and colonise the planet, that is not what I'm saying. That's not what we're taking away from this. (laughs) I mean, I think also one of the things I find really interesting about this is it begins as so often in Paul you get this like really tricky stuff about law and law being ineffective mm. and you know you know contrasting things like law and faith and and whatnot that are maybe not as much of a contrast as we might think and in fact they end up not being a really a contrast not being opposites in Paul either so yes. he's using all these things in different ways um, and these are the kind of um, red letter kind of uh, passages that that get used then for sort of um, anti-Jewish kind of sentiment mm, in antiquity, faith not works that, kind yeah, of yeah. yeah that then become anti-Semitic in yeah. more recent times. Um, and one of the things I find before we get stuck in this kind of or like you know you know supersessionist ideas, ideas yeah. like you know the old is gone and this is the new, and that means you know so we're getting rid of the Hebrew scriptures and all of the wonderful things they give us, and uh, yeah. just just going with. Um, you know, that's all being overridden. But, of course, this is introducing a story that uses Abraham as an exemplar of faith. So yes. he it's it's really not contrasting um, the law, you know, yeah. the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, with faith because Abraham himself is, is, is the pinnacle of faith. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, and he's, he's going back into the tradition to do that. It, it, yeah, as you said, this is not some like, oh, those rigid Jews and their law. Yes, no, this exactly. is Abraham. Um, and it, the language here is beautiful. It's language of promise and of hope, yep. right? And and this is what faith does. Yep. Um, yep. And, and the thing, so we get, um, uh, you know, like Paul is getting even more um, vivid in his description of like dead things, you know, like the, mm. Ab- Abram's body, Abraham, sorry, he says here, Abraham's body is as good as dead. So we're to, and we here we're talking about it as a dead thing, you know. Yeah. Like it's 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 a body that is not doing the things that bodies, um, you know, d- d- do yep. when they're flourishing, yep. right? It's or is it? Yeah. So, but then this this new thing is done. So the way in which um, he's the, uh, what's the word? The the kind of exemplar of our faith, you know, the mm. the, the person to um, who who gives us a picture of what it means to be faithful is the way that he believes, despite all this deadness around him, that new stuff can come forth. Yeah, and that in its that in turn, then if we follow Paul's argument here, will point to Jesus, who also was dead, and yes. from him came new life. So these yeah. are these are kind of examples and metaphors. Paul is using to make the point that this this is what God does. This is how God behaves. God can bring new life from 
dead things, even though poor Abraham was not actually dead. He was just old. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. <laughs> but, you know, he's, but, we've yeah. got a bit of hyperbole. He's making his point. He's very rhetorical, Paul. So yeah, he's, yeah. yeah. And maybe as we, like, travel through Lent, one of our invitations is to think about, um, yes, there's this, this promise of – uh, the new thing that's going to come forth, but also there's a focus on the things that are that are dead. Yeah, yeah. and so um, it's it's really not um, the the faith and the new thing that will come is not because you can already see it or anything. It's mm. it's it's a promise despite current circumstances. So we we're probably feeling pretty present through Lent to um, the things that are really tough. Yeah, yep, and where, and I think there's two sides of that. Some of it is sitting with. Where there's grief, right? Where there's mm. repentance, where there's yep. regret, yep. where there's pain. Um, and one of my questions, which I think Lent always sharpens for me spiritually, although, you know, it should always be there, is is also what are the things that we can let die, yes. right? So yep. that new life can come. Sometimes we've actually got to let go of something over there to step towards the new or the thing that's more life-giving or say no to something so that we can say yes to something else. So... You know, the, the sitting with the death can have multiple layers and will obviously be different depending what's going on with pe- in people's yeah. lives yeah, yeah, during yeah, this yeah. season. Yeah, I love it. And it's a great segue to our next reading where we're Ooh, going to yes. talk about things that we uh, take up as part of this. So turning shortly to Mark chapter 8. If you'd like to know more about By the Well or any of our hosts, please visit bythewell.com.au. So, Kylie, we're in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. We've leapt ahead. Last week we were in Mark chapter 1, and <laughs> yes, now it's like, left. what? Yeah. Um, where are we in the gospel at this point? Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, this is always a great question, but for today it's the crucial question. Well, it's a crucial question <laughs> because uh, this is widely known as a kind of turning point in the gospel. It's really an important moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had... Uh, the introductory stuff in Mark. Um, we've had the the stuff where we've been like building up the, um, uh, you know, like Jesus's identity is being built up. His we're learning, you know, through his miracles, through his various bits of teaching, all sorts of things um, that he is outstanding and amazing. So then we get to Mark chapter eight, and we've had this conversation just just before this, um, where Jesus has been asking, you know. Um, uh, this, oh, I think we've had this bit yeah. before this, where Jesus has been asking, you know, who who do people say that I am and all that. Yes, there we are. I'm not looking. I'm not reading the <laughs> no, text. Really. I'm like just doing it from memory. Two verses before. <laughs> yeah, yes, I was you're right. It was just before <laughs> my uh, my computer wasn't open to the right bit. <laughs> Very good. So we've had this bit just before. You know, who do you say that I am? And we have this thing. So we have this this statement of of faith about you are the Messiah. So this is great, you know, mm-hmm. something has been picked up and then all of a sudden everything changes. It's like, yeah. you know, the, if you'd have a complete change of lighting on the set or something and we turn to this passion prediction. It's the first time that Jesus says what's going to happen, uh, that he is going to um, undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise mm-hmm. again. And it causes conflict. So from here on in, after this turning point, we're going to have this thing, you know, you know how the disciples in Mark get kind of characterised as being um, not getting it. And, yeah, you know, a bit. This, this is going to ca- carry through this next bit that goes all the way really up to, to you know, the final week of Jesus' life as we, as we tell it just before the, 
crucifixion, um, where more and more, <clears throat> more and more, we're learning about the hard stuff that uh, you know is going to happen, and it is it's basically a way of saying so. You've seen all of the stuff about what kind of Messiah you've seen this battle with the 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 powers and stuff yeah, that we yep. that we get in the Mark, healing, the healing, the, yep. all that stuff, and now Jesus is putting a bit more flesh on the bones of like, but this is the kind of Messiah. That I am. Yeah, I, I do feel like this is a bit of a stark turn for the disciples because, I mean, at this point they've gotten to see Jesus do some very cool things like yes. feeding the 5,000 and walking yep. on water and yep. healing people and the crowds flocking to yep. him and then all of a sudden he's talking about suffering and rejection and death. Yep. But I have another question for you, Kylie. So this passage starts with he began to teach them that the Son of Man must. Oh, it's yeah. a little word in Greek, day. And yeah, I remember yeah. being taught that this is a divine necessity that, you know, yeah. God needs, you know. So what do we do with that very tiny but quite important word, he must suffer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not interpreted as divine necessity. <laughs> It'd be my hot tip. Um, so... Uh, it, it is a word that is it means a whole range of different things as, you know, one thing will follow from another kind of thing. Uh, so in this context, there are all sorts of words that are used all the time to describe something like necessity. People talk very frequently and openly about things like fate and providence and mm. all that kind of fortune, the power of fortune in, in the wider context. Um, you mean in the ancient context? In the ancient that, context. That's, that's not typical the, language, yeah. Yeah, not in the New Testament. Uh, and like so day – and oh, and there is a stronger word for divine necessity, ananke, so that's yeah. a different word. But here we're using like the weakest form of this that you can have. This is not about divine necessity. This is about something – the way I would interpret it um, would be about something more like inevitability, Mm. So, so sometimes you might use this word to describe that something that has been foretold by the prophets will inevitably happen. Yep. This will inevitably happen because it was foretold by the prophets. Of course it's going to happen. It's already known that this will happen. Uh, but the other way of thinking about it is also this will inevitably happen because um, if you are living by gospel values, it will bring out this suffering and rejection. So Jesus has sort of foreseen this. But it doesn't mean God set the whole show up so that this is what yeah. would happen. And that's a subtle but really important theological distinction, right, between yep. God sent Jesus simply for the purpose of dying yep. versus, yes, God sent Jesus. And as a result of Jesus living this faithful life with God according to the values of God's kingdom, yep. he is killed by the state. Yeah. Like yep. Those are subtle but quite different Different and important statements, right. yeah, yeah, and so that will be important for our Christology when we're thinking about some of these things. It's also important, I think, for the way we think um, ab about suffering and God's role in suffering in our own lives as mm. well. That you know, um, not that God is creating suffering or creating these kinds of things, but sometimes um, you know, living by the values of the kingdom will you know, will cause We'll have consequences. Yeah, we'll have consequences. And some of those won't be yeah. you get really rich and have a cushy life. Yeah, that's right. And um, other suffering. Contrary to what some people yeah, preach. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and other forms of suffering maybe come from totally outside that world and 
and then there is a conversation about how God responds when we experience yeah. suffering rather than God sending suffering. Yeah. So I think that's important. Um, but I've said a lot about that. And what I really want to ask you, Robin, is Robin has actually written an article about this <laughs> passage. And so she knows all manner of additional things about it. And I would like to hear from you, Robin, what you think are the important things we need to know. Oh, well, my um, kind of theory, and it's really not that hard to see, is I think this is all about discipleship, right? So it is, um, and we get some key language that helps us see that. So as part of setting up, picking up where you were, Kylie, you know, Peter's response, and Peter's often the spokesperson for the group in Mark. um, So poor Peter cops it, but he's often kind of just saying what the disciples think. Peter's response to this teaching about suffering and death is to rebuke Jesus, like he cannot handle this is this is not good news for him. We'll yep. maybe return to what is the good news yeah, in this yeah, passage. Yeah. Um, and then Jesus rebukes him back. So we get some rebuking going on. Get behind me, Satan. One of the interesting things that I think is a bit lost in the translation in English is the get behind me, Satan. We can talk about Satan in a minute. Um, the get behind me is the same language we get for the call of the disciples in chapter one. And we will get it at, again at the end of Mark where um, – the sort of angelic young man at the tomb says, go tell Peter and the disciples um, to go before me to Galilee. But mm-hmm. So this language is episomu, literally behind me, after mm-hmm. me. So it's it's discipleship language. Follow language. Follow language, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, in what follows from verse 34, we get more explicit teaching by Jesus now to both the disciples and the crowd, so it's expanded, mm. if any want to become my followers. Mm. So different language there but also following language. Mm. So there's a whole lot of stuff here about if you're going to follow Jesus, and for some reason this following language always makes me imagine like a mother duck with all the little ducklings oh, yeah, lined nice, up. Nice, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like Peter got out of line and stood in front of the mother duck and tried to rebuke it. And Jesus yeah, yeah. is like, this is kind of a get back in line because yeah. you've got to learn what it means to follow me yeah. and you haven't quite got it right yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do think it's a kind of a call. The yeah. Satan's pretty harsh. Like, yeah, yeah. You, see, you promised we could talk about that. Okay, Can sorry. we talk about Satan now? So I would see Satan less as like, don't imagine a little devil here. Yeah. Uh, Satan in the Jewish tradition, it, he increasingly becomes like a personification of evil, but um, – and that change is happening around this time. But in the Hebrew Bible, Satan is a kind of adversary tester. Yep. So I think by calling Peter Satan, it is harsh. We can't yeah. we can't pretty it up. Yeah. But it is like saying, Kylie, get back in line, you're tempting me kind of thing. Like yep. 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 um, you know, don't don't tempt me with something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's in that ilk. So we should really talk about discipleship then because then we Indeed. get this really hard teaching about denying themselves and taking up a cross. Yeah, yeah. Luke will soften this with take up your cross daily. Is that, Mate, is that softening or harder? You have to do it every day. Well, It's I, like a kind of constant practice. Well, I feel like yeah. then it's at least not literal. Okay. Because <laughs> you can't die every day. Oh, I see. <laughs> Whereas take up your cross, I think, and Mark might literally, literally be. Literally mean get ready to die. I mean, he talks about you yeah. need to be prepared to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. I think yeah. martyrdom is a very real threat in this community. And Luke thinks, just to defend yeah. Luke, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, Luke seems to think be ready to die every day. It might come upon you. Well, maybe, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, we can concede, <laughs> yeah. concede that point. He's just making some things from Mark more explicit maybe. It's already there in yeah. Mark, right? Listeners, just reading between the lines, I really like the Gospel of Mark. Kylie really likes the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> I don't <laughs> One of us Mark. is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I need to spend more time reading Luke. Yeah. That's good. Um, 
I think we should comment this deny themselves language, right? Because oh, yeah, it, it has a difficult, res- like deny themselves for the sake of the gospel has been said in terrible ways to women and yes. other people about, you know, put up with anything, including abuse for the sake of the gospel. You know, your husband will be converted by your patience and good faith kind of yeah. stuff. And dreadful. I don't think this oh, right, is, that's dreadful. it's awful. Um, so we need to be, care- again, it's, we were saying be careful with the Genesis reading. Just be careful this week. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Be careful when we start talking about deny ourselves. We're not talking about some self-flagellation or leaving people in situations of abuse and with no agency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a, you know, a self-denial actually comes from strength and power. Yep. Right? So we're not talking about the subjugation that others are doing to no, you, right? No, that's right. Actually, it's it's an interesting kind of conundrum about preaching in general or, you know, worship on anything to think about um, whether both, where both these things are true, like about taking the call to de- self-denial and also to to not um, uh, cause the denial of or denial of personhood of another or something like this. Sometimes uh, how, how do we make sure that people hear the bit they need to hear in how we're speaking. Because a lot mm-hmm. of us who are powerful, um, who are, who, you know, come from certain positions really do need to hear, um, you know, in settler society, like we were saying before, in, mm. you know, the the majority world. I mean, no, my, no, not that. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the part of the world where we come with strength and whatnot in the, in the West, maybe we do need to hear about denial and to take it, Seriously, yeah, and to uh, some self sacrifice so that others can flourish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. You know, but then, ha- but making sure that the hearing that challenge is not simply heard by the wrong the people who need to hear something different. Yes. So the good, yeah, uh, yeah. So how the how we preach the good news in the midst of a really hard passage that's actually saying be prepared to suffer and die for your faith. Yeah, it's it's not saying suffering and dying for your faith is always right the reality and it's not saying if you're suffering that's what Jesus wants you to do like we need yep. to be really careful in the way we we talk yeah, about these yeah. things yeah um what would you preach like like I'm thinking if I was going to preach the mark text this week I think I'd want to ask a question like what kind of Jesus are you following because yeah. who we think Jesus is determines the kind of disciples we are. And this challenges as much as I'd love to follow Jesus, who's the constant healer, or Jesus who has the power to change the world. This is also the Jesus who's prepared to suffer and empty himself of his power. So what does that say to me as a follower of that kind of Messiah? So I think that would be my question of this mm. text. Yeah. What about great. you? Uh, I'm leaning towards stuff about where where is their death uh, mm. and where, where can we see um, – where can we believe there can be new hope? It might be in our lives. It might be structural death. It, you know, it might be structures that really are oppressing people. Where Where is their new possibility? Okay. Lovely. Great, great. Thanks for talking, Rob. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.